0: So today we're talking to Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi. Good to have you here. So Sean is a senior software architect. And today we are going to focus uh, our discussion on Rebel. So this is not a rebel with a P, but a rebel with a B. So maybe let's start with the name. Why Rebel? Uh,
1: because the B is for browser. So uh, this is a, a graphical tool. It's built with JavaFX. Um, it runs in addition to having a command-line REPL. So when you start it up, you get your regular command-line REPL, and then you get a JavaFX app startup, uh, and it has a uh, a panel in which you can enter um, stuff as if it's a REPL, and it's got par infer and, and nice editing in that. Um, But anything you type in the command line REPL or anything you type into the REPL panel in REPL itself, uh, when it's evaluated, the results appear in a table below, and then you can drill down. Uh, It shows the metadata. um, It shows the data in various formats. And so if you're working with large data sets of any sort, it's really, really helpful to work with those formats.
0: So before maybe we go to the part where we like try to explain how do you work with one, how do you get one? How can you obtain a Rebel? Uh,
1: cognitect has a subdomain, rebel.cognitech.com, and that tells you all about it. And then there's a license agreement. And if you agree to the license agreement, you get downloaded. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because it's, it's not open source. It's a tool that they've made available. Uh, it's free for personal use. But if you're using it for work, then you either uh, have to be a Datomic user and have a Datomic license, in which case you get Rebel for free. uh, Or you can subscribe to their Patreon um, at $3 a month and you get the licensed access to it that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, uh, we don't have any affiliation with the Cognitect or the Rebel. We just think it's a fantastic tool and that's why we're talking about it. Um, so when you uh, have the rebel on your computer how would you how would you go about using it what's what are the i don't know building blocks that you need to have uh, to get this going
1: yeah mostly i mean you can download just the jar uh, and make it a dependency a local dependency Uh, and then you can either start it up from the command line and start rebel itself Uh, they it's kind of designed to run with the new cli and depths.edn but -hmm. there's ways to run it with boot and line again. Um, mm-hmm. And what I have is I have it just as a jar file that I depend on. I use CLI and depths. So I have an alias that points to it, adds it to the class path. Uh, and then I actually have a custom main function, which sets up a whole bunch of dev stuff and runs the, the main from Rebel itself. So that's how I get the, the Rebel and the browser part of it started up. Um, If you're using it directly, like I said, everything that you type into the command line REPL goes into the browser part as well. If you're using it with other tooling, by default that doesn't happen. Um, I start a socket REPL and connect to that from my editor. Uh, And so I have got customizations in my editor to send expressions and forms from the editor into, into the REPL. Um, it's fairly straightforward. There's a submit function in the main namespace, and it takes uh, a form, a symbolic form, and a value, uh, and it treats it as if it evaluated itself. So mm-hmm. uh, there's also an integration with nrepl. I think Rick Moynihan has produced some middleware you can use with nrepl. So everything that nrepl evaluates also is transmitted into. Uh, the Rebel browser.
0: Yeah, I think those things, even though for you are, straightf- are straightforward in your head, like you say, go, oh, it's a local dependency, depth, and I think it's sometimes difficult to explain all of this in an audio format. And I know you produced a really uh, great uh, screencast showing exactly this thing that you described, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, people have asked me for quite a while to show how I use the tooling that I work with. Um, and You know it's been a long time before i actually got around to doing screencasts it's it's not something that uh, i'm particularly familiar with i'm kind of old school so the idea of people wanting to watch videos of other people coding i i kind of scratch my head at that but so many people asked that i figured that i would go ahead and i would create uh, a couple of screencasts showing how i use rebel
0: yeah, I watched them and I think they're really great because, Thank uh, you. Uh, especially especially the one where you walk through the problem in one of the code bases. Which one was this?
1: That was core memoize, one of the contrib libraries right. that I mentored.
0: Right. So, what would be if if we could describe? What would be the workflow of working with the Rebel? So, let's imagine we had it set it up with our editor. We have the Rebel sort of on a on a side, if you will. Mm-hmm. And what would be what would be the workflow here?
1: Yeah, I usually have uh, Rebel and my editor uh, split screen. So I have I work with everything full screen. So there's no distracting Chrome. There's no um, taskbar, and mm-hmm. I have it set up so that everything I evaluate in my editor automatically goes into Rebel, and so I treat it just like uh, a regular Rebel integration. Um, the main difference is that Because it shows it in a table, uh, you can actually see it shows the time that something took, it shows the form that was evaluated, it shows the result, uh, and it actually will show, for example, in a hash map, it'll show it as a list of keys and a list of values, so you get to see it in a very visual form. Um, And then what I really like about it while I'm working is if I'm dealing with complex data structures, either something very nested, uh, even say a component map, uh, or results coming back from my database or results from Elasticsearch, that I can then just uh, command tab over to Rebel and actually drill down into those results. So I can very easily browse through a full set of results coming back from Elasticsearch, for example. Um, And so I tend to go back and forth. Very, very occasionally I will type directly into Rebel's browser, um, but my workflow is nearly always to have uh, an editor where I might have a comment form or some source code and always evaluate from the file into the the Rebel.
0: Right. And uh, there are also some special functions, if you will, That allow you to do something more with the Rebel, is that right?
1: Yes. Um, It's got the whole idea of Datafire Nav, which was introduced at Clojure Conj last year. Uh, It's part of Clojure 1.10. And the idea behind that is that you've got some object in memory, and it could be a Clojure object, it could be a Java object. And the way that Rebel works... Is it calls datafy on that and says, "Well, you know, turn this into some raw data for me." So what you see in Rebel is not just the object that you start with, but it's actually a, a data version of it. So, for example, if you um, ask it to inspect a var, uh, what will happen is you'll see not only the name of the var and its value but you'll also see any metadata associated with it. uh, And you will see all of the uses of it. And if it's a function, you'll actually see all of the things that it uses. So that works off um, dynamic evaluation of it. So once you've been running code, you can then go look at a function and trace through all of the things that it uses, because Rebel lets you drill down. Um, or in a namespace, you can see all of the symbols defined. It shows all of the imports, uh, the interns, refers, and so on. Um, so you get to see a lot of the insides of, of how Clojure works without having to know all of the magic incantations to dig into those symbols.
0: There's a tap, and I don't know if there are any uh, more.
1: Yeah, I got as far as Datify. Um, the other thing that it does is when you drill into things, it has the idea of nav, which is the the companion function. And the way nav works is that given um, some sort of object and some sort of key into that object, uh, the way that it works is it'll go from an object underneath datafy into a data representation. Nav will take you back to a underlying object. Um, an example from uh, Java JDBC or Next.JDBC is that if you datafy a result set and then you nav into it, uh, if it finds something it thinks is a foreign key, it will actually go fetch what the foreign key refers to. So as you navigate through the data structures, it's sort of a, a lazy um, fetching of information. And that works from anything that's datafy and nav aware. So you've got that going on. Um, If you're using tap, which I love from Clojure 1.10 as a debugging tool, it puts all of the output from tap in a separate tab, So you you don't have to worry about setting up a listener for tap. Uh, And then you can browse through the tap output as if it was uh, results from the REPL itself. So you can debug your code by putting in calls to tap all over the place go into rebel, look at the tap output and browse through it, and then browse through all of those data structures using Datafire nav. Uh, And the other thing that it brings is the idea of sort of nav through. Normally, um, with nav, you specify a key on a collection or index on a vector, uh, and it maps through the data structure that way. But what you can do in rebel is you can specify not only keys and indexes, but you can specify forms that you want evaluated. Um, So there's a little window in Rebel where you can type in code, and it essentially threads the result through that, doing Datafire nav on it as it goes. Um, Mm -hmm. Where I find that very helpful is, uh, for example, with Elasticsearch. When you do an Elasticsearch call, you get a data structure back that has hits, and that's a nested structure with hits inside it. And then that's a vector that has maps inside it that has a source key. And that is the actual data returned. So in order to navigate through a result from Elasticsearch, you have to keep sort of drilling down and then moving and drilling down and moving. And with Rebel, you can just type in uh, a sort of threaded expression to say navigate down into the source of each result. And then as you move through um, results in the browser, it automatically pre-navigates through that expression and shows you what's at that location in the the value panel. So that's pretty powerful. You can put any code in there at all. uh, So you can have it doing all sorts of interesting transformation and navigation on your data structures right there in the browser.
0: Right. So the only prerequisite for this would be that the data structure is just like a closure data structure, right? So, Yeah, although
1: uh, with Datafy, you can turn pretty much anything into a data representation that you can walk through. Um, there's a handful of sort of datafiable types predefined in 1.10, uh, such as namespaces. Uh, Rebel itself adds vars so that you can uh, datafy a var and show a data structure that represents it and then you can navigate through um, all of the references the uses and so on so it's a nice extensible protocol
0: is there anything uh, from your point of view that
1: yeah I, I, I think the biggest stumbling block for people is integrating it into their workflow uh, and i think hmm. most of the cognatech folks i get the impression work in sort of inferior mode in Emacs, mm-hmm. uh, or at mm-hmm. least with something that's fairly command line driven. So very mm-hmm. simple, composable tooling. And, you know, to be honest, I think most Clojure developers out there use CIDR and NREPL when they're working with Emacs, and certainly NREPL when they're working with almost any other editor. So it's sometimes not obvious how to work with a tool that you would start from the command line. And the nice thing about the way Rebel works is as long as it's on your class path, it's just part of your program because it runs in process. And so you can start as many UI instances as you want, for example, Uh, and with the submit command, if you've got uh, any sort of integration between the tooling you're already using, um, and then it will follow the REPL you're working with. So, for people who are working with N uh, if they use Rick Moynihan's uh, middleware for N everything that flows through N through any of their normal tooling infrastructure is going to flow into Rebel itself. So, you know, you've got to get it up and running. Um, it works differently on Oracle JDK eight to uh, Open JDK eleven. Um, it's as far as I know, doesn't work on OpenJDK 8 because you need JavaFX, but maybe there's a JavaFX uh, distribution for JDK 8, I don't know. It's built into the Oracle JDK, uh, and it's easy to depend on the JavaFX libraries for JDK 11 onwards. Um, mm-hmm. If if anyone goes and looks at my .closure repo, uh, in my depths.edn file, I have aliases for both Rebel 8 and Rebel 11, which has the simple set of dependencies to run on Oracle JDK 8, and the extended set of dependencies to run on Open JDK 11. Um, and I, I work with both locally, and I work with Open JDK 8 locally, but I don't run Rebel on that. So that's probably the biggest stumbling block people are going to have to getting it up and running is is integrating it into their existing tool chain. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's it's just a, a local JAR dependency. You download it, um, you put it on, is it resource paths, I think, in Linigan, um, or declare it as a, an extra DEP in depths.edn. Uh, mm-hmm. And Cognitech released new versions of it from time to time. So since the first version got released they've cleaned up a bunch of bugs around jdk 11 in particular they've added mm-hmm. the, the nav through functionality they've added the var browsing functionality those have all been new since the tool was released
0: um so let me ask you this like it seems like you are picking up a lot of the technologies that are just like coming out like you know uh, the devs Eden or anything like like the rebel uh, what would be your process of picking up new, like, I don't know, technologies? And how do you pick actually, how do you know if something is worth picking up or uh, what's your process there?
1: Well, one of the things that I've always been very keen on is not only developing for the tool set we have, but always looking ahead. So when my company first started to look at using Clojure, it was back in the, the 1.2, 1.3 days. And we, we ended up going to production on an alpha build of Clojure 1.3 because it provided things we wanted. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've always tried to test against master. I've always tried to keep an eye on announcements of new tools and at least try them out. Um, we obviously, when we started, I say we were in the 1.2, 1.3 timeframe. So we started out with Lineagun. Uh, when boot was announced, we looked at boot. Um, it took a while before it looked sort of stable enough for us to jump over to that. And we actually did switch in 2015 completely from lining into boot. Mm-hmm. Um, we began to get a little bogged down. We ran into some issues with the way pods work in boot uh, and the, the sort of the shadow file set that it works with. And so we were ready for new uh, tooling when CLI and deps started to come out. And so over the Christmas break, I think it was last year, I maybe it was before then, but I, I sat down and decided to do a spike for a week and see what it would take to convert all of our tooling over. Uh, and it turned out to be pretty straightforward. Um, so we, we keep a close eye on what's happening in tools.deps. Um I've been trying out the... A PowerShell port of the CLI tool on Windows. I do all my development either on a Mac or on Linux, um, but I have a Windows laptop and I have Windows running on a VM. And so keeping an eye on what's going on with the Windows versions of the tooling is interesting to me. And in fact, on my laptop, mm-hmm. I actually run Rebel uh, from PowerShell using the PowerShell version of the CLI tools. Uh, so when I'm editing there, it's it's still Rebel, and still Atom, and still Chlorine, um, but it's all running natively on Windows at that point. And that sort of bleeds into a lot of the way we look at other tooling. So um, pretty much anything that comes along, particularly stuff that's coming out of Cognitect, because that tends to indicate directions that they're thinking. And so often when they come out with something, there's going to be other things that work with that um datomic for example you know something that they built for themselves for their clients and then released and it has that sort of very cognatech mindset uh mm-hmm. about it's opinionated about how you work with closure um so you know pretty much anything they produce i'm going to go take a look at um whether i adop- adopt adopted or not is another matter um Right. We we were too far down the line with our systems to uh, take Datomic on board. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's definitely, again, very interesting tooling that I would love to have an excuse to to work with. Um, and, you know, as alpha builds come out of other tooling, we tend to move up to those so that we can take advantage of any new functionality coming in Clojure itself or the tooling. Uh, we've run alpha builds of every version of closure from 1.3 up through 1.10 uh, in production. Uh, and so we get we get access to all those nice new shiny features and you know that helps make code cleaner and do more powerful stuff.
0: This is also the way also the Cognitech, Cognitech release things uh, because normally when they release even like an alpha, you can be sure that or maybe you cannot be sure, but it's usually pretty high quality so even if you go to production on those things i think you're still uh, fairly stable
1: yes and you know it's been our experience that um, it's pretty safe to run pre-release builds of closure in production um, the sort of the irony of one of the sort of releases that was uh, broken was 1.5.0 uh, it had a bug i think it was a memory leak bug i can't remember but they fixed it very quickly in 151 and our um, release to production cadence just so happened that we got the release candidate into production, which didn't have the bug. 1.50 came out with the bug. 1.5.1 came out with the fix. And that happened to coincide with our next production release. So we dodged the bullet by always being on whatever was the leading version of Clojure when we make mm. releases. Um, right. But that's that, I think, is the only thing I can think of where you know they had a, a production stopping bug uh, and it was in a gold release ironically
0: and maybe this is a great moment actually to finish the episode mm-hmm. so thank you one more time for being here
1: well thank you for having me on your show
0: and uh, till next time <laughs> cheers if you find this podcast valuable there are many ways you can support it you can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to you can share it on social media with your friends you can blog about it discuss it on your own podcast and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning closure script and closure at my website yacekshare.com that's j a c k s c h a e.com thank you for your support of this show